Members of St. John Congregation and Pastor Schilling, family and friends that have gathered here this afternoon, special family and friends that get a front row, standing room only seat, and especially to you, Grant and Rebecca. Grace and peace, love and mercy from God our Father, through Jesus Christ, our risen Savior and Lord. Amen. Love, love, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Love is blue, love is strange, love is a many splendored thing. When it comes to love, we have as many different definitions as we have people gathered here times a thousand. Oftentimes we think about love in purely romantic or emotional kind of things. And that's, that's not bad and that's not wrong, but it's incomplete. And so today we want to have God teach us about love. The word love we heard in our readings for today, especially in that epistle reading from Ephesians chapter 5. We let God define love for us. And in a Bible passage that does not even contain the word love, we base our meditation today. It's printed out for you in your worship folder from the Apostle of Love, the Apostle John. John chapter 13, verses 12 to 17. When he, Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and returned to his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, for you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So far, our text. Jesus demonstrates love in action. And he does this in the strangest way. He does this by washing the disciples' feet. Hmm. Let's think about that for a little bit, shall we? Oh, the readings that we heard have been a part of the Christian marriage ceremony for well over a thousand years. It's no accident that they are chosen by the church. The Old Testament reading teaches us that marriage is not primarily a choice or a human decision or a fancy ceremony. Marriage is God's institution. He's the one that created it. He's the one that brought Adam and Eve together. He's the one that brought Grant and Rebecca together. 
Thanks be to God. The Gospel reading tells us how serious God takes this institution of marriage. People were trying to redefine marriage, not only today, but even back in Jesus' day. And Jesus gives a very, very simple statement about marriage. What God has joined together, let not man tear apart, rip asunder, separate. God's desire for marriage is one man and one woman for life. But it doesn't always work that way, does it? Sin is real. And God's good gifts are sometimes tainted with sin. And so that takes us to that epistle reading from Ephesians 5. And it starts out talking about love. Love is a fragrant offering. Love is a sacrifice. Love is a gift. Love, first and foremost, is Jesus. This is love. Not that you love God, but that God loved you and sent His only Son into the world to live and die and rise for you. That's love. God demonstrates that love for us. It's not just an example. It's not just an idea or an emotion. And this gets played out in real life. Real husbands and real lives in a real sinful world. And I've heard you dozens of times say it out loud in church. I, a poor, miserable sinner. You know, you're not only marrying the love of your life, you're marrying a poor, miserable sinner. So what are you going to do about that? Well, there's nothing you can do. But thanks be to God, He has done something about it. He has delivered His Good Friday death and His Easter resurrection to you in the waters of holy baptism. He feeds you with that good news of the gospel to strengthen your faith, to grow your faith, to heal your wounds every time you hear it or read it or study it or sing it. He even loves you so much that He gives you His crucified and resurrected body and blood to eat in the Holy Supper, forgiving you, sustaining you, and comforting you. This is love. What kind of a God would we have if He brings a man and a woman together and He says, I want you to stay together forever, if He didn't tell you, like, how to live as husband and wife. That's what Ephesians 5 is all about. God desires all husbands and wives to have an Ephesians 5 marriage. But we hear those words and we get stuck right off the bat because of that, that one word. Oh, that evil word, that terrible word, that submit word. But it starts out, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's equal. It's not 50-50. God does not do fractions. It's 100-100. You are so busy loving and serving and sacrificing for each other 
that you don't have time to be a selfish jerk, which comes natural to everyone. And how does that look specifically as a, a husband and a wife? Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I know Grant. He's a great guy. But he's not the Lord. <laughs> How in the world can God ask you to submit to him, another human being, to him, a male human being, and to this particular male human being? Well, the answer is in what he asks of you. Grant, and this is not just for you, Grant. This is for every husband here or everyone who hopes to be a husband one day. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Love, love, love. How did Christ love the church? He died for her. Grant loved Rebecca to the point of death. And Rebecca, if he can love you one one thousandth of the way God wants him to love you, this whole submission thing, piece of cake. Because it'll be a joyful response to the sacrificial love that Grant is giving you. That's how it works. That's an Ephesians 5 marriage. That's God's design for marriage. Marriage is not easy. Life is tough. Marriage is tough. Now, there may come some physical times where you're going to push Rebecca out of the way of a speeding car and, and potentially give up your life for her, but that's not normally what we're talking about here. To love your wife to the point of death, when you're ready to watch the big game, and she says, oh dear, my favorite Hallmark channel is on tonight, my movie is on, I made popcorn, I've got the next two hours planned. You know, Grant, to say, I can't wait. <laughs> we'll kill you. <laughs> and that is the kind of sacrificial love that we're talking about. It plays out in real life every day. It means setting your own personal interests and personal pride aside and away. And loving and sharing and serving each other before you love and serve yourself. Was um, 44 years ago, almost to this day, that my wife and I stood before the altar and got married long time ago. We dated for five years before we got married and got married in West Point, Nebraska at the ripe old age of 19. Now back in those days, unlike today, most people got their 
news and entertainment from a newspaper and not from their cell phone or Facebook or whatever. On the day of our wedding, my wife gave me this. In most major newspapers, there was a little syndicated cartoon called Love Is. Two little cartoon characters living life. And on our wedding day, I've long since lost the card, but you can tell by the color how old it is. It says, love is two people sharing one heart. That's pretty profound. That's pretty good. Ties in really well with what we're talking about here. And so, finally, it brings us to our text from John 13. It's Monday, Thursday. Jesus is only hours away from demonstrating his sacrificial love for the life of the world. He's hours away from being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's hours away from a kangaroo court. He's hours away from carrying his cross to Calvary. He's hours away from bleeding, dying, naked, suspended between heaven and earth on an old rugged cross. He's hours away from the greatest example of love the world has ever seen. And so what does he do? He takes off his outer garment. He gets down on his hands and knees. And he washes the disciples' feet. What? Sounds crazy. But that's what he does. He does it as an example. He does it as an example of service. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the second person of the Trinity, humbles himself to wash the disciples' feet. The lowest of the low. Most servants wouldn't even do it. But Jesus does. Peter, who thinks he has better words than the Lord Jesus, Peter says, not me. You'll never wash my feet. Jesus says, yes, Peter. Unless I wash your feet, you have no part in me. And then he says, do you understand what I've done? I've given you this, this lasting example. As I have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. Now, I suppose we could break out into a foot-washing banter right now, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's giving us an example. Now, there may come a time in your marriage when one of you has to wash the other one's feet. Maybe a broken leg or hip surgery or whatever, and it just has to be done. More likely, You'll have to clip each other's toenails. <laughs> yeah, that's a little modern day foot washing for you, huh? Or put something that you really want or you really like 
on the back burner. Or in exchange for the five Hallmark movies he's watched, you sit down and watch the big game with him. You see how that works? To wash one another's feet. To not consider yourself too important or too proud to love and serve and sacrifice. But you know the most important way that you will wash each other's feet is when you sin. When you sin against each other. Maybe by accident. Maybe on purpose. That's what sinners do. They sin. And so the way that you will wash each other's feet when sin, sin enters into your relationship is by speaking the two most difficult words in the history of humanity. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know what it is about those words. We fall into one ditch or the other. Either we're so proud that the biggest crowbar in the world couldn't pry them out of our mouth, or we treat them so flippantly, we say it about everything. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When you sin from the heart to love each other enough to confess that sin. And then the other one has the opportunity to wash feet as well to say the three most important words in a marriage. It's not, I love you. Those are important words. I love my dog. I put him to sleep. When one of you works up enough courage to say, I'm sorry, you will be tempted to say the three words. You should be. You big jerk. The three most important words. The proper response to I'm sorry. I forgive you. I forgive you. Grant and Rebecca, I promise you, because it's not really my promise, it's God's promise. I promise you that if you make those five words a real part of your marriage, the blessings that God has in store for you are without limit. I'm sorry I forgive you. I'm sorry I forgive you. And every time that happens, you'll be washing each other's feet. So, here we are. Been waiting a long time for this. Long distance relationships are tough. One of the questions in that uh, secular tool that we use, prepare enrich. I believe most of the problems that we've experienced as a couple will fade after we're married. That was a really hard question. 
No, all the problems won't go away the moment the wedding ring goes on the finger. That's where the foot washing comes in. But the struggles, the difficulties, the heartache of a long distance relationship, today, God is going to wipe away. He's going to wipe that away with his holy, precious blood. Because up until now, we've had Grant and we've had Rebecca. But in a few moments, when God speaks through my lips, our all-powerful and all-creating God will make a new thing. Grant and Rebecca. It's his doing. He's washed your feet. Your sins are forgiven. His love is perfect and never-ending. We sang it in our hymn. A paraphrase of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Grant and Rebecca, build your house. Build your home. Build your family. Build your love on that sacrificial love that Jesus has for you. And then, the foot washing, piece of cake. May God grant it to you for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now may the peace of God which far surpasses all understanding. Keep our hearts, our minds, our lives, our love, our foot washing in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.